and a very warm welcome to this episode of Intuitive Experts podcast. I'm joined today by Mark Fontaine, who started his career as an officer in the French Navy, spent 25 years in Airbus, and is now the founder and chief exec of the industrial data hub, Indu. Mark joins us to take us through digital transformation and the opportunities that he sees for the UK rail industry. Good morning, Mark Fontaine, and a warm welcome to the Intuitive Experts podcast. Thank you, Nina. Good morning. Um, Just for the benefit of our audience, Mark led the digital transformation programme at Airbus, successfully deploying digital platforms, allowing the group to become more agile and efficient. So two words that, that we're really keen to hear more about and is now the chief exec and founder of the Industrial Data Hub which is an organisation, I'm going to read the strap line out from the website because I really like it and it really intrigued me when I read it in the first place. So Industrial Data Hub, Indu, is an organisation which supports mid-cap companies to unlock the full potential of data, solve previously impenetrable problems and reveal those that they never knew they had. Wow, that's a tall order, Mark. That's a really tall order. That's ambitious, yes. Absolutely. Can we start off, please, by um, me inviting you to tell the audience a little bit about you, where you've come from, your journey so far into the role that you're currently doing, please? Yes, with pleasure. So thanks for the opportunity. Um, My background is mostly uh, 25 last years in aerospace. So I joined uh, Airbus and the constituting company in 94 and worked uh, all my, uh, most of my professional life in the, these companies in uh, very different responsibilities and not so much uh, core engineering like people could believe and more from the business background. But I worked a lot into merger and acquisition, business development, strategy, corporate functions. So lots of exposure, I would say, to many business um, problematics, mm. lots of exposure to transformation problems. Um, especially because in the last years I was company secretary for Airbus Helicopters, then for Airbus Commercial, then for the Airbus Group, member of the executive committee, so exposed, I would say, to all lines of business and all lines of business problems. Um, Most recently, in the last five years, I was in charge of digital transformation for the Airbus Group. Um, And that's an interesting uh, story, too, because as part of a management team, uh, which was quite stable for a decade almost, we had reached probably all the limits of what we could achieve in the current methodologies, I would say, to improve the performance of the group. Not that it was perfect, but we were almost reaching limits of what we what we had tried uh, as usual uh, techniques. So we wanted to discover more on uh, Innovation, how to manage better innovation is these large corporations, which of course have the dimension of bureaucracy, uh, heavy regulated industries like the train industry, by the way. So how how to inject more entrepreneurship, more innovation, and we see how much the world around us is moving quickly now in all lines of business. And second, what means digital transformation for a company and an industry like aerospace and airbus? So I pivoted, I would say, from 
normal business subject to something that was a bit more exploratory. And the last five years, I spent a lot on bringing digital to others and trying especially to discover what was his journey beyond the buzzwords. The good news is that we started before the buzzwords. So we started five, six years ago before there was IoT and AI all over the place yeah. and everybody is advising everybody to have done about that. So we made our own, I would say, journey and learning. And in fact, we were quite successful, I believe, into, into implementing some of the things. We failed many times and we learned a lot. But we implemented things that we would never have dreamt to implement, it, to implement sorry. and especially the first B2B uh, industry platform uh, across all industries that I know, which is called Skywise, and which is linking and connecting 140 companies, exchanging data to improve not only their company performance, but also the performance of the global aerospace industry. Mm. And I left Airbus um, end of last year, 2020, to definitely pivot, I would say, on digital and uh, to create Hindu with some uh, colleagues who have the same belief, same belief uh, that digital, in fact, can change dramatically the way company operate, and especially industrial companies, that it's not so complex to do, but you need some... Uh, you need some experience to make it work. Yeah. And we will talk about it. We know it's not only about technology. It's about a mix of technology that exists today, technology and data. It's a mix of business acumen, and it's a mix of human and change management. Mm -hmm. So these three elements we learned sometime at a hard price in our journey. And that's what we want to share with uh, most of the industrial companies. Perfect. Thank you for that. Great explanation. Definitely wants, uh, makes me want to, to hear a lot more. In preparation for our conversation, Mark, because I think it is fair to say, and you've just alluded to this now, um, digital transformation as a skill set or as a business function is relatively new. And so I think it was important for me to understand before we had this conversation, what does it mean? So what is digital transformation? Um, Wikipedia tells us that it is the adoption of digital technology by a company or an industry, presumably, to improve business processes, improve value for customers and improve innovation. Um, all of which are exceptionally relevant to where the UK rail industry is today. What would you add to that definition, Mark? Do you think that's a, a fair summary or are there extra bits that you'd like to put in there? I think it's not wrong. Um, it's probably, I believe, an understatement, but by saying it another way, I will frighten everybody, everybody off. What <laughs> I, no, but what I truly believe is digital transformation uh, in a business life, like we experience in our personal life is not only improving something, it's changing completely the way we act and behave. It's changing the way the organization functions. It's changing the culture. It's changing the business models. It's changing the structure of all industries between suppliers, OEMs, uh, customers, and customers. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more than a tool solving a problem and bringing more capabilities. Uh, if you figured it, if you think long term, it will have much deeper consequences. Mm. 
into the organization and as we could see into society mm. but at the same time it's not the way you want to promote these things to industrial companies because they're all gone already through innovation program transformation programs uh, performance program so you want to start small yeah. and think big that's what we did also in Airbus. we never thought about skywise we first wanted to transform ourselves and to understand better Mm. what especially data integration could mean for others. And then from mastering that, you expand and land to new territories and then you can pilot. So I think the potential is enormous. At the same time, you go nowhere if you start with something uh, uh, which is too ambitious. It's like, let's talk about Facebook, okay? You want to do just a digital uh, Facebook of your colleagues and friends at university. You don't want to create a monster at the size of, of the planet yeah. recording data and connecting everybody. Okay, mm -hmm. You get there. And I believe it's the same thing which is happening to companies. So it's very difficult. There's a leap of faith because you don't know exactly where you land. And I think for our industries, it's particularly relevant. We are uh, engineering industries, heavy industries, regulated industries. We have people who are serious people and hopefully, uh, of course. Um, but you cannot engage into this thing by saying, I want to know exactly where I will be in five years or 10 years, mm. according to that. You will discover it along the way. And don't start by just having the strategic plan and the 10 years business case, because it doesn't exist, I guarantee you. And it never existed in Amazon either at the beginning. Yeah. So we have to start small, mastering these tools that I mentioned, mm. especially I think the data culture and everything that goes with it, because that is what leads you to innovation and to changes, deep changing into, into everything. Mm. I, would, I would also say that digital transformation is a big world. Uh, and people tend to put everything into that. I believe, again, that digital transformation are three elements, the tech part, the business part, the human change part. Yeah. Second, you have to focus on data, first and foremost. Forget about all the buzzwords, okay? Uh, you need, they are part of it. Cloud is part of it. Cybersecurity is part of it. Data governance is part of it. IoT is part of it. AI mm -hmm. is part of it. But the foundation on which you want to change, you will be able to change your company, is understanding data. It sounds very simple to say that, but most companies, especially in our industries, we don't know our data. No. That you are you're quoting our, our line on the site. But it's amazing to see that in many industries, we don't know our assets. Mm. We have super valuable assets, engines, rolling stock, mm. aircraft. And when you say to these people, how much do you know about uh, your assets? Mm. Uh, it's, it's surprising to see how little we know. Or on the opposite, if you take some very recent uh, programs of Airbus, for example, some aircraft, they are beaming one uh, gigabyte per flight. Mm. Uh, so then it's the other problem, it's too much. So you have too much data yeah. and you cannot really trace what you wanted to do if you didn't have a very thorough data thinking first about which data do I need to solve which business problem? Mm -hmm. So 
I tend to make it also very simple. First, master data and data integration. It will be the building block for everything that sits on it, especially machine learning, AI, more sensors with IoT and so on. Yeah. But first, try to master this critical element. Okay. And that makes perfect sense. And I think the timing of, of this conversation is interesting in that respect. The um, the events of the last 18 months, I think, have accelerated the pace of, of transformation in the UK rail industry quite significantly. But we knew before that that change was needed. My understanding is that the um, the value of data and the the industry view of how we use that is one of the areas that's been accelerated. So the concept of big data and the analysis of that data and how to use it in terms of insights for how to run your business and and how to influence customer behavior, how to make sure that we're delivering what our customers actually want. Um, So all that opportunity lies in there. And there are also, there are pockets where um, digitalization is being used really effectively in terms of the operation of the railway, the infrastructure and the maintenance side, as well as, as the, um, the manufacturing side. So there are there are pockets of this happening across the industry. I do think, though, it's a it's such a massive topic. It's such a huge, huge area that your advice to start small but think big is really pertinent because you could actually look at it and say, well, it's too big. It's too, where, where on earth do you start? So your advice is to start with the data. So collect the data. In my, in my research for this conversation today, I've, I've learned some new technology. So terminology, Mark, should I say, and a, a data lake. Never heard of a data lake before. So explain to us what, what's a data lake? Data lake basically is, a, a, you keep it simple, it's a place where you put your data. But this again is technology and mostly it's enabled by cloud technologies because cloud technologies uh, allow you to have no limits in storage or processing basically of data. However, you have a trap there too. A data lake is something that you will build along the way because that's the right way to to expose data to people who need that data. However, creating a data lake in itself is not the purpose of digital transformation. And it's not because you think data that you have to move to data. Uh, Some companies would decided to say, okay, let's make a big bang and we will create a data lake and we will dump all our data there. First, it's a tremendous effort. And second, after years and millions of spending, you say, okay, but why did we do it? So you always have to start with a business model. What are you trying to to solve with data? And these statements defined with the business owners will define the data that you need. And these data requirements will define the pipelines, cleaning, uh, loading mm. of data that you need to connect and maybe sometimes to equip. Okay, imagine that you have a machine which is not equipped with sensors. Mm. You may decide to put a sensor on that machine because you have determined that this temperature data or this humidity data or this vibration data 
would be super important in what you're trying to solve. So you, you have to work reverse uh, from the business problem to data. Yeah. Then the technology is there and it exists to create static pipelines or dynamic pipelines to extract the data to a data lake. And in the data lake, the beauty of a data lake, whatever is the technology, is that you will be able to store the data, process the data, and this is very important. Uh, sometime in aerospace, for example, we replayed three years of data of worldwide fleet uh, to demonstrate how to solve a problem. So mm -hmm. the computing power, which is behind that, you can imagine yeah. replaying all the flights and observing parameters that we never observed before because they were not represented, uh, requires fantastic storage and processing capabilities that was not available 10 years yeah. ago. So this technology is there, but it's only as good as the data you will get, so the cleaning, the pipelines, and the problem statements you will start by yeah. putting on the table. Yeah. Um, that's the main thing. And then the data later has another beauty, I believe, is that it's, it's a lake, okay? So mm -hmm. the lake has shores and limits. Okay. And once you have put something in the data lake, uh, if you have the right technology, it's quite easy to define how to consume the data which is in the data lake. Mm. So you can define what is the interface, like an on-app store, okay? Yep. So you will have applications that will consume this data and produce dashboards, that will produce analytics, so you choose to present the data in certain ways mm. to the people on the shore around okay. that data. Okay. okay. The second thing is that with a digital data lake, you know who is on the shore. Okay. You don't always know it in your company when you have paper, when you have non-connected systems. Mm. But with modern data lakes, you know who is sitting around the table. Okay. You know who is accessing which data, which is paramount when you want to industrialize data integration mm. because you want a strong data governance and you want of course a strong cyber security yeah and and the data lake and the cloud technologies bring you this technology you can have it on premises too but it's built in for the cloud mm. okay so as important as putting relevant data in the data lake it's fundamental to know who is using who is using which data yeah and to have traceability mm. because that makes, uh, in fact, data distribution easier, not more complicated, but it makes it easier. i just give an example. If you're making dashboarding from data that you have collected from an aircraft, okay, yeah. about the performance of, I don't know, the brake system mm -hmm. and predictive maintenance of the brake systems. This is the data integration part, that's the analytics part. And then you decide with the engineers, okay, what do you want to see to be able to understand and preempt the problems? Mm -hmm. The engineers will want to see something of a fleet wide, for example, you know, so that they can start taking design action and so on. Mm -hmm. But the maintenance guy will want to see something very different. He yeah. want to see per aircraft, per airport, because he knows he has a spare part on the airport or not. Mm -hmm. So you're able first to disseminate the data in a very pertinent way to people mm -hmm. because once you have the data 
the dashboarding of data is, is super easy. Yeah. yeah. When it's all through. Second, you will decide that the maintenance engineer in Kuala Lumpur doesn't have access to the fleet data that the engineer sitting in Seattle or in Toulouse for others are going. Mm-hmm. Is having, despite the fact that the data is there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You choose to expose the data in a form, but you also choose to whom you expose the data. This okay. is what is called data governance, and okay. it makes in fact, distribution of data more secure, but also more widespread mm-hmm. because you can control it. Yes. And now, just in comparison, and I close there, think about the difference between that and making a static dashboarding with data from Excel and PowerPoint and mm-hmm. then sending it by email to a guy mm-hmm. who is sending it by email to another guy and you lose totally control of your data. Yes. Yeah. Which can get out of the enterprise, by yeah. the way, pretty yeah. easy. So just to close on the data lake, this is beyond the buzzwords, what's the functionalities you want to uh, leverage? Yeah, I think, so what I'm hearing from, from what you've just said, Mark, is that this is not data for data's sake. We have to start with the end in mind in terms of what the business needs from this. So, so digital transformation the use of data and analytics is is a is a, a kind of supporting function for making business decisions better and also that kind of the the dissemination of the information that people get is very focused in relation to who wants to see it why they why they need it what business decision is it helping them to make or issue to solve so instead of you sending me a thousand pieces of information you're asking me what do you need to see in order to to solve your business problem so there's a there's a data lake but i only need a bucket of it so um so it's kind of simplifying it all because again i think this subject matter can be so huge that it kind of almost it it can be quite scary because it's like there's so much information there's all this information that we can gather that goes goes in this big lake yes so it, it, it's a good image. Uh, you can complement it by something else, which is you can applications will filter and fill your bucket, mm. and you will, that will help you to do your business. Yeah. In some cases, however, um, you, for example, in Skywise, we had forty percent of self service. So you have some functions where you have not yet, for example, developed a, an application for solving a dedicated problem. Mm-hmm. With a minimum of, of training today, lots of people can become autonomous about exploring the data and checking their assumptions. It's very true for people who are trying to do problem solving, you know, on non-quality, on engineering. These people, they have a problem. We have, for, we have, for example, a problem on one of the F380s with uh, a fuel pump. Okay. I don't enter into details. Yeah. But our engineers are clever, of course, and they had all the root cause analysis of what could be the problem, but they didn't have all the data to focus. And each time they were making a loop saying, I have this assumption, I go and look for the data. It takes six months because the data is not available. And it confirmed that it is not the root cause because, and I move to the next one. On just that simple problem, they have 92 root cause analysis potential. Right. It took them normally, it would have taken them probably more than two years to process it the normal way. Mm. 
with data made available from the right aircraft in the right conditions with the right sensors. It took them two weeks. Wow. Because they, not because it was genius, but because they are clever, they are 92 scenarios. Suddenly yeah. they explore the data and they, they knew that this was bingo, it was bad one. Yeah. And of course, you, you go into production. So, yes, to some people that you don't want to disturb, you package the data, it answers the problem. It's very easy to communicate in every level of organization from the shop floor to the CEO. That works with different type of information, of course. Mm. But you can also add value by doing this type of exploration, which, by the way, sooner or later will give birth to a new type of application yes. that you will put in production and industry about. Yeah. So. I think, you know, in terms of the the benefits or the, the many advantages of, of digital transformation, um, operational efficiency is, is kind of up there on the towards the top of the list, if not at the top of the list. And that illustration that you've just given us of a case study which would have ordinarily taken two years, being able to be completed in two weeks is quite phenomenal in terms of that efficiency. But in fact, in, in fact, if you want metrics, and we have many metrics from uh, Airbus and from uh, the aviation industry and from what we are doing today with industrial companies. This type of metrics is exactly what you find when you look. Uh, and um, we have run more than 200 use cases, and it's exactly orders of magnitude like this that you will never suspect. We have reduced non-quality in some production line by 50%. We have uh, improved uh, procurement decisions uh, pertinence by 75%. Right. So in, I would say the rule of thumb is that you will improve if you choose the right problem, and that it's a data-related problem, one way or the other, you will improve by two digits, right. your process. Okay. So, uh, and many, many examples support it in many different industries. Uh, globally, if you take a step back as an industry or a company, my assessment is that companies are sitting on 1% to 2% of EBIT margin mm. because of untapped and unleveraged data about efficiency yeah. in their systems. Okay. So the potential is absolutely enormous. Mm. And this is true for small companies and for big companies. Mm. And you will be surprised that it starts to be also true for digital native companies. Right. Because even digital native companies with the proper systems, sometimes if they don't have a proper data thinking or data culture and data mm -hmm. architecture, they recreate modern silos, you mm -hmm. know, between the ERP, the CRM, yeah. and so on. It's very easy. As soon as you reach 100 people, you start to have silos mm -hmm. if you have not uh, taken an architecture. Uh, yes. Yeah. But yes, you're right. It's about operational efficiency. It's demonstrated. Mm. It's not so complex to do if you focus on business and value and you have to. Yeah. And the only condition for having the big ambition we were talking about is first to start this small project mm. that will demonstrate value, that will buy the support of our operational people and finance people yeah. and IT people. And it's only when you collate uh, all these uh, use cases mm. that you start seeing these data lakes shaping up yeah and you see these data foundations and data governance functions mm. shaping up mm. and that you see the boundaries 
of the company is blurring because, of course, before convincing your suppliers and your customers, you have to apply it to yourself. Once you're literate enough, you can explain it to your suppliers and you can explain that it will be a win-win game because by exposing your production data and mixing it with this planning data, in fact, both will win. You cannot do that as an industry, and since you're talking to a trade industry, don't start with that in mind. Mm. You will go there, but start by applying it to companies who have appetite, built on it, then cross the boundaries of the industries, and you may end up with industry platforms like Skywise, Trainwise, call it Trainwise, where progressively the operators, the network, the OEMs, the suppliers, will start sharing data more easily because everybody has understood how to do it. Mm. And just be careful of one thing I've heard, including in your industry. Be careful about this data is the new oil because it's it's true and false. Uh, okay. It's true because when I say 1% or 2%, of course, it's, yeah. it's not oil, it's diamonds. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's lot of effort to do it and it's an internal effort okay? mm. uh, if you think about oil as a commodity okay, which means data is when you all because I will capitalize on the data to sell it mm. and we hear a lot about that yeah. I think this is uh, this can be a, a lure because um, you start immediately in a training discussion between actors of the supply chain. Mm. My data against your data, what's the value we put on data? Let's put lawyers and IP clauses everywhere. Mm. And this, in my experience, is totally counterproductive to the yeah. operational efficiency flow of data. Mm. You, you can go there, of course, especially for B2C industry with passengers and so on. This data has a value. However, I think you should not crystallize discussions early on, once you have not yet understood your full potential yeah. and your problematics on this valuation of data externally. Mm. This can kill mm. lots of initiatives for sharing. Okay. So there's so much in here and, and we have a, a limited amount of time on the podcast, but one of the things that, uh, gosh, there's so much, Mark, that I want to ask you now. There's, there's all sorts of questions pinging off in my head. One of one of the areas um, that I think is is absolutely critical to consider, and you you have just mentioned it a few moments ago, is the culture around digital, about how you how you use this data, how you use this technology, what you do with it, um, what the um, what the ethos is behind why are we doing it as an industry, why are we doing it as individual organisations, why do it. We, we can't go into the nth degree of detail in this discussion today, but we I am I'm working with an industry that is a very traditional industry that um, is, I think it's fair to say, is kind of, you know, we, we, we like to take our time in terms of the change and transformation piece. In that kind of industry, what would you say are the key starting points to creating a culture which is going to support the digital transformation that we need to see? First, you know much better about rail than I do, of course, but I don't see a lot of difference between aviation, ships, ships, uh, 
even automotive to some degree. So we share some characteristics. We are heavy industries, long cycle investments, lots of legacy systems, uh, a very strong re regulation, and all these create a culture, uh, safety culture, which is good. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes a risk adverse culture because we like things to run. We don't like change too much because change can mean readjusting and costing a lot, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so some of our strengths can also be our weaknesses in terms of uh, changes. So first, you're not alone. And I think that the fact that we demonstrated almost Amazon-like type of questions in aviation shows that nobody's immune mm. from this transformation that can happen all around you. Yeah. So it's there to stay. It's a burning platform. Of course, we have to do it embarking our own constraints and uh, culture. As you said, culture is super important. Uh, the main challenge, I think, will be the data culture. Mm. So beyond the, the culture, which would be inclusive of change and innovation, I think a specific focus on data culture I, I believe is extremely uh, important. Why do I say that and what is the data culture? The data culture is about you want fact-based decisions with data which is, if possible, up to date yeah. and at the right level of the organization. Mm -hmm. It's simple to say that, but if you think about all the organization, nobody has that. Mm -hmm. No organization has that. We don't have the right data at the right moment at the right place. And we struggle most of the time in all our industries to get that. Our blue colors struggle to do, to, to have that, to take right decisions about which operation to do. Yeah. Missing parts, broken machine, blah, 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 blah. Logistics. But the CEOs and the CFOs, same thing. Mm. Data is late. It's inaccurate. It has been tempered by Excel sheets uh, so many times, you know. So you need to strive for that. It's not easy because, again, the technology is not always deployed in companies. Mm. Uh, it goes sometimes against established processes because think about an army of controllers for finance who is doing Excel processing of discrete uh, financial systems. Mm. I mean, you will have all these existing processes in place while do you really want in a digital transform company human tampering with macros uh, on Excel sheets, data which is coming out of product online. No, yeah. you don't want that. You want direct connection and you want traceability and reversibility of the data. So pushing for a data culture, I think is essential. Yeah. And it should not be underestimated because it will change everything. Um, you will not be surprised to, this, to see that in all industries, not all management is, will be happy about increased transparency. Transparency in some places is dangerous. Yeah. Okay. We, need, we don't need to share completely with the next function. We don't need to share completely with above or below. Mm. You know? Why? Not because of the bad behaviors most of the time, but be, because people first, Maybe they don't have the information. When they have it, maybe it's not good to share all information. Mm. 
second, you need to keep some buffers because sometimes you get so much challenges that you're not giving away all your opportunities just to get yeah. the risks only. So it's very natural, I think, in most of the large corporations to have some uh, culture of non-transparency. Okay. But data, data, and the data culture is driving to full transparency and mm. full traceability of the data. This is a big change. And it's a big change for managers, especially because managers for decades have been considered in vertical organization as communicating information from the top downstream. What is the strategy? What is your objective? What is your KPI? What is your performance? Mm -hmm. While pushing back to the top operational information from their team in a vertical way. Yeah. And think about how many times these vertical channels do not communicate with the channel next door. Yeah. Engineering next to manufacturing, next to services, next to, okay. When you start to say, no, we will have a common data reference that will be shared. And the guys from logistics will have access to the same data as the engineers. Yeah. We have the same access to the same original source of truth data yeah. than the CEO and the CFO. It becomes a completely different company. It's not a company which is organized vertically. It's not a company even which is organized horizontally. It's a company which is organized diagonally. Yes. You, know? you yeah. start to have guys at different levels in different functions looking at the data with a different prism, with a different angle mm. to take their own business decisions. But it takes a culture, a supporting culture about transparency, about fact-based decisions, yeah. less politics, because fact-based decisions and politics <laughs> and sharing don't go well together. Yeah. And um, progressively, by the way, transparency will extend to authorities because authorities will mandate more and more mm. access to the data, like mm. they do with forensics uh, today. But tomorrow, they will want from the train industry, from the aircraft industry, that they get automatically the data. Mm. And when, if they don't get it automatically anyway, they will do sampling to investigate. So. Mm. The, the transparency will expand beyond uh, the boundaries of the company and it will expand, like I was explaining, with customers mm. and with suppliers. Yeah. Because there is common value there. You, you, there is no point about optimizing one OEM mm. and not sharing data that is relevant to the supplier within. So you need yeah. to find ways to, to bridge that and to bring some transparency. Uh, today, I see too many companies saying, I don't share my production program or my uh, investment program, mm. because this is strategic information, but yeah. without taking into account that their suppliers are totally inefficient because they don't have the proper yeah. production plan. Yeah. So of course, there's always a trade-off, but it leads to more transparency. So culture, data culture, I think is transformation. Yeah. Wow, there's there's a lot in there, um, and there's a lot in there that I can um, I could kind of almost envisage our um, podcast audience raising their eyebrows at, especially the word politics, Mark, because <laughs> we've got plenty of that in the UK rail industry. So there's there's very clear politics is everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's really abundantly clear to me where the benefits are around um, operational efficiency. There's loads, and and as you, as you've said, an amazing metric that one to two percent on the EBIT number for the organisation 
if if you don't get, get anything else, then surely that's worth a further investigation. What I'm really interested to hear from you is um, the other big area for the UK rail industry, as well as operational efficiency, as we move forward, we're going to have new contracts. The, the franchising process, as I'm sure you know, is no longer operational. We're moving towards um, national rail contracts, which will become passenger service contracts. We don't know yet what those will look like, but I think we can absolutely say with 100% certainty that the train operating companies will need to be as operationally efficient as possible. So big tick in the box in terms of it's worth looking at digital transformation just for that. The other big, big area um, is the customer. What benefits will the end customer, the person who travels on the train, what benefits do they get from digital transformation? Big question, I know, but the headlines, please. No, but if I make it, uh, I know better, of course, the aircraft industry. But an aircraft which is not on the ground flying is a direct, it's not only an operational benefit to the airline. Mm. It's also a benefit to the customer. Yeah. He's not delayed. He has better connections and so on. So when you remove the waste out of the system, when you remove the inefficiencies and the buffers, basically you make the whole system more free. And I think for transportation in general, mm. it's for the whole benefit of the customers. Uh, think about the price of the ticket. Same thing. Uh, when you have a more granular data about your cost, about uh, if you can really optimize better your assets. Mm. It, 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 it will end, it, in the end, it will translate into more margins for the companies and more benefits to the end customer thanks to competition. Yeah. So uh, I see really no discontinuity between B2B improvements and B2C improvements. Mm. And of course, there are all the customer intimacy part of it, which I'm less involved into that because this is very much on the B2C type of uh, yes. applications. But there are huge things about knowing better the customer, knowing better his travel patterns, merging more data sources to have a better offer, uh, which is most of the time, by the way, in transportation multimodal because you don't want to take a train. Uh, you want to go or plane. You want to go from A to B. Yes. And A to B means also going to the station. And blah, 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 blah. Mm. Um, so I think once you have this type of data-driven approach, you don't stop on operational operation, uh, industrial operations mm. or logistics. You go, down to, you go down to the end customers because you have to, basically. Mm. And you go up to the orgi original parts. It's a complete chain. You cannot do everything at the beginning, yeah. but by concentric circles, you will get there. Yeah. So... I mean, more efficiency, more performance, less cost, more yeah. satisfaction, yeah. qualitative. Yeah. So I'm going to, there, there's so much, as I've said, that, that we could talk about. And I feel like we've not even scratched the surface, Mark, in terms of this huge topic. I think your advice at the beginning of our conversation about starting small and thinking big will stay with me. Um, in terms of my conversations with clients, but also um, looking at, at my own business and my own um, kind of a, approach to, to what we're doing in this in the transport industry. What I'd like to kind of draw our conversation to a conclusion with is a question around the future, because I think if we if we even went back just 
probably two years, but certainly five years and, and definitely 10, we, we might not have been able to envisage the world that we are living and working in today. The rail industry has historically worked in quite small chunks of time, which was led really by the, the franchising process, where organisations would only have five to seven years of, of, of operating in a particular area of the, of the, the network. And that encouraged, I think, some kind of medium term thinking rather than long term. But there is a there is a team of people at the moment who are working on the whole industry strategic plan. And their task is to look 30 years in advance in terms of what the UK rail industry might look like. Now, none of us can predict that. But what would your advice be, Mark, with your experience? What advice would you give? to people working in the UK rail industry in relation to how to, what do they need to do now in order to be fit for whatever the future might look like? Very good question. Uh, um, the very uh, simple and humble answer would be know your industry today. And the candid answer would be you don't. And especially after COVID, you don't anymore. And especially in a new change of business model, you don't anymore. So that's a lot of don't, uh, yeah. if you think about it. So I've been working with some uh, train companies. I'm very shocked. I was shocked to see that they don't even know how many assets they have. And we're talking about high value assets. Mm. Where are the engines? I mean, where precisely? Right. Okay. How many cycles do they have on their brakes? Mm. Sometimes we don't know this thing. So you cannot, I think you, we cannot really project the future without knowing exactly where we are. Okay. And that, that is true also for sustainability. Mm. On which data will we put taxes or assessments to make investment decisions on this type of projects, again, that type of project, if we don't have the granular data of today, mm. of how much we consume in energy, how much we, uh, what is the CO2 footprint of not only one piece of equipment, but the full supply chain. So when you think about it, you need granular data. And the good news is that granular data is there. Mm. And I see it also in the aviation industry. There is more data today to be leveraged yeah. uh, to take strategic and political decisions uh, for for the future. So first, I think, get your data clean, mm. organized. Again, don't start with a big bang, but with small things yeah. uh, that are relevant to your network decisions, for example, or to your investment decisions. Uh, but do it on the data you have today mm -hmm. and build coalitions around that of people who want to share, to better understand, and to get the truth of what are the operations of today and not the thinking of what are yeah. the operations of today. Mm. Once you have that, you will discover with happiness, like we all did uh, during COVID, that in fact, this data-driven approach is not only making you better at understanding and managing your current operations, mm. It's also making you more resilient to black swans like COVID. Yeah. So it's preparing you, even if you don't have a perfect strategic plan for 
30 years down the road, you're starting to discover that this data allows you to reconfigure networks. Mm. It uh, allows you to replan trains. It allows you to reprice tickets according to changes in behaviors of people. Yeah. Uh, most of the applications we had in Skywise post-COVID are things we never thought would be interesting to airlines. For example, parking management. Mm. We never built something that sophisticated to do parking management. But yeah. the main problem of the airlines post-COVID was to say, I have no passengers, I'm parking my aircraft. Mm. Where are my aircraft? In which condition? Yeah. How can I optimize the maintenance while they are not flying? And when they return to flight, with mm. whom? Which aircraft should I start? Mm. So the disaster recovery, or you call it the resilience planning, yeah. is a fundamental thing of a data-driven approach, fact-based again, mm. which you can, of course, feed your scenarios for the future with, but you can also steer your scenarios according to what the data will provide. Yes. So uh, I wish them good luck for the 30 years, but I think, uh, <laughs> uh, the, no, but the good news is that they can build the tool that will that will allow them, I think, to move from today to tomorrow, and yeah. they can do it. They can stop doing it. Tomorrow. Yeah. Mark, thank you so much. There is, as I said, several times there is so much more I want to ask you. We'll do that offline, and I'm sure that many other people who are, are watching this um, will want to do the same. So, um, in the meantime, they're very welcome because, as you could see, I'm passionate about. And, absolutely and yeah absolutely you are and we will share your details so people can contact you direct and have their own conversations and fill in some of the gaps that i'm sure after living after listening to you on this podcast episode there will be lots of, of thoughts that are um, provoked and, and trains of thought that we need to follow so my huge thanks I have thoroughly enjoyed the conversation I'm not a, a technology person I'm not necessarily a big kind of data person I'm all about the people and the, the impact on people of this process and this function is quite huge so um, so very close to my heart thank you so much thoroughly thank you enjoyed it Thank you. Thank you. My huge thanks to Mark Fontaine for joining me on this episode of Intuitive Experts. There are so many questions that I have as a result of that conversation. I think we really have only scratched the surface. Please do get in touch with Mark if you'd like to know more.